North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. As well, I hope you guys are doing good. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Last week we started a sermon series that we're calling No Vacancy. And what we're doing is we're looking at the night that Jesus was born. And, and we considered the fact that Joseph and Mary came rolling into Bethlehem and they couldn't find any place to stay. There was no room for them in the inn. And the only place available for them to lay their weary heads that night was the stables or the barn out behind some house. And, and that is, in fact, where Jesus is, was born. You, you all know this. If you have a church background, you know this. If you don't have a church background... Chances are you know this. You, you know the nativity scene. You know the manger scene and all of that stuff. And this really becomes the stage for our very first living nativity scene. We also discussed the fact that we might be a little off in our understanding or how we view this story in our minds. And in most of us, we tend to believe that Mary and Joseph came rolling into Bethlehem and they traveled from hotel to hotel to hotel to hotel and, and every innkeeper said, sorry, we're all booked up. We don't have any more rooms available. But in doing some cultural evaluation, it seems more likely that they didn't go from hotel to hotel because Bethlehem probably didn't have any hotels. They were coming into Bethlehem planning on staying with family and friends, staying with people that they knew and, and who knew them, that they loved and who loved them, um, people who were close to them in relationship. And it's probably more likely that these people who knew them best were the ones that said, sorry, we don't have any more room in the main house, in the guest room for you. You're going to have to stay out back in the garage. Which, as we're looking for application points and to see what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us in these scriptures. And as we try to apply these lessons of the biblical narrative to our lives, it makes it a whole lot more personal because when we view the story through that context, we are no longer given this the freedom to distance ourselves from the story by blaming a greedy innkeeper or blaming the world for rejecting Jesus. And, and, and we look at this and we realize that sometimes we as believers, and I know that not everybody in here is a believer today. Some of you are kind of just checking Jesus out and, and trying to figure out um, what he is or, or, or what he is to you or who he is to you and, and kind of if you're buying this whole thing. But, but I would tell you that Jesus is pursuing you and the reason why you are here today even with questions is because he is pursuing you, that there is no shadow he won't light up, amen? Come on, now listen, there's some of you who have been pursued by Jesus and you've been fully embraced by Jesus and he overwhelmed you with his love and his grace and his mercies and affections and you've seen the goodness of serving Jesus in your life every single day. And when I say something like that, like there's no shadow, he won't light up, you're like, yeah, yeah, right, amen. You know, Merry Christmas sort of thing. I mean, we, sometimes we have to tell our face and our emotions that we have been radically saved. And, and so there are some of you here today that are being pursued by Jesus. And, and I want you to know, like, you are not here on accident. He is pursuing you. He is knocking down walls. He is, he is overthrowing lies so that you can have relationship with him. And he is aggressively, aggressively pursuing you. But we looked last week about this fact that, that sometimes we as believers, we get so 
comfortable and so um, just familiar with everything with God and Jesus and we get so busy with everything else that sometimes even we as believers, we, we tell Jesus, you know what, I, I got no more room for you. I'm doing a lot of good things, but, but there's not really any room for you. And, and, and we, we sometimes say when it inconveniences me, there's no room for Jesus. When he requires me to sacrifice, there's really no room for Jesus. When he pushes me past my comfort zone, there's really no room for Jesus, and, and so if you missed last week, then now you're all caught up. Good, you got the Reader's Digest version, and now we're, now we're good to go. That's what we talked about last week, is, is making room for Jesus in our lives. And, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to uh, preach a message that I'm calling Scooch Over. Scooch Over. Uh, we could also call it Plenty of Room, but, but uh, the, the title is going to be Scooch Over. I saw a video the other day of what rush hour or what the rush hour subway commute looks like in Tokyo. Has anybody ever seen this before? Um, it's just, it's insane. It, it looks like an absolute nightmare, but, but there are so many people using the subway systems in rush hour Tokyo that um, their system, they, they employ workers to physically shove people into the subway cars. They're, they're, they're coming over as the doors are closing, closing. These people are shoving like body parts and arms and faces into the subway system so that they can close so that they can get to work. I mean, it's that full. It's that crammed. I actually have a video here. Um, if you haven't seen this, go ahead and, and watch this. Looks like fun, doesn't it? Come on, somebody. Wouldn't you love that to be your commute every single day? Right? Scooch over. There's still room in there. Like, I see an inch. I'm taking it, right? Scooch over. There's plenty of room. Uh, things are a little different here. Uh, thank the Lord. Um, we, we have a little bit more space. Um, but, but we enjoy that space. We, we enjoy having that room. Some of you are here, and, and sometimes you come into church, and it's a little crowded, and you get frustrated when the ushers come down, and they see two seats, and they, they put a couple there next to you, and you, don't, you no longer have that, that seat buffer between you and the stranger sitting next to you, because we, as Amer we, we feel like we need that seat buffer. Amen? We just do, none of you are going to agree to that today because you're sitting next to a stranger like, no, I am so glad you are here next to me and we're fighting over this armrest. But, but <clears throat> what church metrics tell us is that if in church, if your room is at 80% capacity, you won't grow anymore because people want space, because people sort of demand their space. They, they don't want to scooch over. They don't want to make room. And we will eventually make room as, as long as the people coming in or sitting next to us or, or asking to be a part of what we are doing meet the right requirements or fit the right profile. But for us, making room for other people, for people that are different than us, is not our default mode. 
We don't, uh, in relationship and in this society, we don't have a problem hanging the no vacancy sign. We don't have a problem saying, you know what, I don't have any more room for uh, relationships. I don't have any more room for connecting with people. I don't have any more room for, for you and your family or the tension and the drama that you bring. And so we hang up the no vacancy sign. We say, leave me alone. We are, we are people who have been trained to drive into our garage, hit the button to close the garage before we even get out so we don't have to connect with people that live in close proximity to us. We hang the no vacancy sign all the time. Say, stay out, leave me alone, just let me be. Years ago, Melissa and I were attending a wedding, and uh, we were fairly new to the church. We were fairly new to the community. We didn't have a ton of strong relationships with people around here, and so we were invited to this wedding, and and we went, and then after the wedding, we went to the reception, and and we walked in, and the reception was, you know, pretty full. It was about 80% capacity, one of those things, and we're looking around trying to find a a place to sit, and and we walk up to this table. There was about 10 chairs around this table. There was two empty ones, and and some people at the table were church people, some we didn't know, and and so um, we walk in, have nowhere to sit, and so we walk up to this table with the two empty chairs, and we said, hey, do you guys mind if we sit with you? And they said, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. We're actually saving these chairs for so-and-so who, who are coming in a little bit. We told them that we would save chairs for them. We said, no problem. You know? And so, so we looked around. There was no other place for us to sit. And so we sat at the table next to them that was completely empty. So it was 10 open chairs. And so Melissa and I plopped down into them. And, and we're surrounded by eight empty chairs, really our closest friends, right? <laughs> Come on. And... Um, about three or four minutes later, <clears throat> another couple comes in that, that we uh, knew, we didn't know well, but we recognized who they were, and they come, they walk by our table, and then they walk back over to this table that was mostly full with two empty chairs, and, and it wasn't the couple who they said that they were going to save the chairs for, and so we thought, well, they're going to go ask there, and then, you know, we're, we're second choice, and they can come sit with us, we won't feel like complete losers, and, and so they go over to this table, and they say, hey, you know, guys, do you mind if we sit with you, and, uh, and you know, we're kind of eavesdropping a little bit, expecting them to, you know, be shuffled over to us as well and they said yeah go ahead and have a seat are you kidding me you know (laughs) and um, so so we thought okay well maybe maybe like the other couple that was supposed to come they called and they said they can't make it so they they are open and available and so you know let's give them the benefit of the the doubt about 10 minutes later the, the the couple who those seats were being saved for comes walking in now I have to admit to you that, that I do have some pettiness that lives in me, okay? And, and so sometimes small things bother me, and so I'm actually kind of excited now because I want to see some kind of a tense conversation. I want to see a little bit of a fight when this couple comes in and they see that their seats have been claimed. I want them to, to um, at least give a nasty look to the people who gave up their seats there and, and say, I thought you were going to save these seats for us. What is this? I thought we told you to save seats. Now we got to go sit with these two. Are you kidding me? I wanted to at least see something. But when, when they walked in and they came over and they saw that their seats had been taken, <clears throat> it was kind of this moment where, okay, what are we going to do? And then everybody sort of in unison looked at them and said, oh, we have plenty of room. Come over. And everybody scooched over That was our reaction, too. (laughs) Everybody scooched over, made room, and we're sitting there, are you kidding me? You know? 
And then, but the problem was, they, there, was no, there was no chairs for them. There was no plate set for them. So they get up, they come over to our table, and they say, do you guys mind if we borrow these chairs and these plates? I wanted to say, no, they are saved <laughs> for our friends. They may not be coming tonight, but we have them. Are you kidding me? No. I don't know if this really relates to the message today. Sometimes it's just good therapy. <clears throat> Put my pain out there and let you laugh at it. Uh, we don't have a problem making room, but we aren't going to make room for just anyone. We don't have a problem moving over. There's plenty of room. There's plenty of room in our lives. There's plenty of room in the church. We don't have a problem making room for people. We, we just, we want to make room for the right people or who we think are the right people. <clears throat> and I think there's an obvious but often overlooked fact when we consider the nativity scene. There was no room for Mary and Joseph. That's the whole premise of, of this message or, or this series or even what happens on that first Christmas night. There was no room for Mary and Joseph, yet Mary and Joseph made room for the shepherds when they came knocking. I want you to see this again. <clears throat> there was no room for Mary and Joseph, yet Mary and Joseph made room for people that they didn't even know. And I would suggest that the reason for this, that there is always reason behind the narrative. It's not just a story. There is a message that goes with it. And I would suggest that the reason behind this narrative is not so that you know all of these nativity scene makers can charge you... Uh, a lot more money to add three extra shepherds in there, that there is a reason for the shepherds in this nativity scene. It's not just so you can have this cute little display on your mantle. I believe that the shepherds standing there over uh, the, the manger of Jesus there with Mary and Joseph is God putting on full display the heart of the gospel the moment Jesus came to earth. I believe that Jesus is the gospel personified from the very, very beginning. And I'll explain that in just a minute. Let's look at the scripture. It's in Luke chapter two, verse eight. It says, the night, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem in the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying glory to God in the highest, in the highest heavens and peace on earth to those who, with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph and, found, and, and there was a baby lying in the manger. So once again, <clears throat> excuse me, let's consider how this narrative plays out, how this story plays out. The shepherds were working, they were doing their job, they were on the hillside <clears throat> watching the sheep and it was their job to defend, protect, oversee the sheep, to um, keep a, a good eye out for predators and robbers that are coming in. Uh, Old Testament tells us, and David was talking to the king, saying that when he served as a shepherd, there were times that uh, there was one time a lion came to get one of the sheep and he had to take care of the lion. 
There was another time a bear came and, and took one of the sheep, so he had to take care of the bear. And so, so um, predators coming in, it was a real possibility, and so they had to take care of them. Other scripture tells us about robbers coming in to steal the sheep and stuff like that. So these, these men had to be vigilant. They had to, to be aware. They had to keep watch over. They had to really keep an eye out. And so that's what these guys are doing. They're big, strong, tough men. They're, they're, they're aggressive men. They're not afraid of too much. And then all of a sudden, um, an angel, this magnificent light. Scripture tells us this angel appeared and the radiance of the of the glory of the Lord, the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded him. And I think this is significant, it's subtle, but it's significant that it wasn't the angel's glory, it was the radiance of the Lord's glory. Because none of us, none of us creatures or created beings have glory on our own. The only thing that we can do is reflect the Lord's glory, amen? And so this angel was, was shown all about reflecting the, the brilliance of the Lord's glory. And these shepherds, in that moment, who were tough men, who were, who were strong men, men's men, not afraid of anything, were just massively freaked out, Scripture tells us. And so they're there, they're doing their stuff, they're making sure predators and robbers don't come, and then boom, this massive angel appears, and these shepherds are looking up, and they're like, ah! The angel says, don't freak out. And they're like, ah! This is how I see it playing out in my mind, right? Angel says, I got something to tell you. Ah! And he's like, dude, guys, shut up. I want to tell you something. It's good news. Don't worry about it. And these angels or these, these shepherds who are really tough men are completely freaked out. And they should be because the angel's huge. They've never seen anything like this. He tells them the message. And then all of a sudden, thousands, thousands of angels. And, and scripture says, angels of the Lord's army. See, we misrepresent this part of it too. We often think that when the angels showed up, they're the choir angels, right? They're the artistic angels. They're like, glory to God in the high. And, 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 we, uh, and we portray this sort of a, this angel choir like with the kids and, and you know, the kids' programs. And, and they're all in white and they have, they have wings and they have little halos and the kids are so cute and stuff like that. That's not the angels who showed up to sing God's praise or to sing Jesus' praise that night. It was the angels of the Lord's army. That means it's the angels with, with um, camouflage on their faces, gigantic swords. I mean, there's an angel driving a tank in there, and they're saying, don't be afraid, guys. Like, yeah, no reason to be afraid today, is there, right? And so it's the angels of the Lord's army. They say, hey, don't freak out. There's some really, really good news. <clears throat> it says there's a baby born in Bethlehem. He's the Savior, the Lord, the Messiah, the one that you've been looking for, the one that, that all of Old Testament has been pointing toward. He is here he is in Bethlehem. You will find him wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. And there is a divine directive um, with that you will find him. In, in, a, in a sense, what the angel is saying is go find him. Go look for him. He has come. He has interrupted your world. He has come and he is going to do great things. Go and find him. Go see him. So the angels sing and then they disappear. And the shepherds say, we got to go find this child. we got to go see this baby. And I don't know exactly how this played out, but I can see the shepherds running from door to door in Bethlehem, looking for Mary and Joseph, knocking on the door. Say, hey, I want to see the baby. People open the door. I don't know what you're talking about. There's no baby here. Go to the next house. Do, 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 do. you have a baby? I want to see the baby. There's no baby. And then things making their way on Facebook and social media saying, hey, there's three scary guys. 
3 a.m., they're knocking on the doors. They're asking to see the baby. Don't open the door for them. And then they get to the edge of town and they hear this distinct cry coming from the barn, this distinct infant, newborn cry. And they they sneak up to the barn and and they knock real gently and they, they peek through the crack in the opening and they see an exhausted woman laying over there in the corner, and they see a, a concerned um, man cuddled up next to her, and, and then they see there is a baby lying in the feeding trough, lying in the manger, just as the angel said. And they knock a little bit louder, and I can just imagine a concerned Mary and Joseph waking up with a little bit of a start and some confusion as three big, scary-looking, smelly, sweaty, like hard-working, dirty guys come in and say, we want to see the baby. Like, use the hand sanitizer first and then you can come in. <laughs> you know? And their reaction is something altogether different than anything they'd seen before because they, they approach this baby not just as a baby but as a savior and they knew that as they were huddled over this manger, they are looking into the face of God. They're looking at the Savior. They're looking at the Messiah. And and they know, if they know anything about Scripture, if they know anything about God, they know that this baby would be the one who would save them, would be the one who would bring them salvation. And so these three rough men told Joseph and Mary what happened out in the fields and, and, and what the angels said and about the scary angels with the tanks and how they were singing. They had really good voices and stuff like that, how they had to come and see the Savior for themselves. Verse 17, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Verse 20, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And as this story plays out in our minds, we sort of envision these shepherds as, you know, you know tough men, but, but respectable, trustworthy, honest, kind of hardworking, blue-collar men, really salt-of-the-earth guys that, that are, are people you can depend on and count on. But, but knowing anything about that culture, you would know that that's not how shepherds were viewed at all. In fact, the way that their view of shepherds was so low that in that time, shepherds weren't even allowed to testify in court because their word was so untrustworthy. And so they couldn't even, their testimony couldn't even be submitted in court because as a group, they were too bad. They, they were too rotten. They were too untrustworthy. They were, they were fringe people. They were outsiders. They, they were not connected very well into the culture. These weren't people that you make room for. These are not people that you open your door for at night when you have a newborn baby. These aren't people that you scooch over for. These are people that you close the circle when they come around and hope that they don't come and make eye contact with you and ask you for anything. These are those kind of people. And if God, God God is so, man, I know sometimes we read scripture and and we think that we know what's happening because we've heard all those stories before, but man, God is so weird sometimes. Because if God had asked anybody 
any of us for advice on, on how this plays out. If God was sitting down in the, in the conference room and he said, okay, guys, come here. Um, you know, Jesus is coming. We need to put the word out. We need to advertise this. You know, we need to get some billboards up and, and let people know about, you know, Jesus. And um, so, so we need to figure out where we're going to advertise. Who do we tell? Um, how do we play this out? Who do we let know that Jesus is coming and that sort of thing? And, and what, what we would decide, what we would tell God is, well, what we need to do is we need to send the angels to the Pharisees, the, the religious elites, those people who spend all of their time in the temple, they spend all of their time studying, they spend all of their time really connecting with the things of God, these people who are highly connected and, and held in high esteem in society, these people who spend all of their time praying and sacrificing, we need to tell these people about Jesus, and it's so strange to me that God would choose the shepherds as the first ones to invite, to visit Jesus in this holy nursery. It was strange that God was scooching over, that God was making room for the shepherds. But when something strange happens in Scripture, it often happens for a reason, and we need to take the time to discover what that was. Also, it, it, would, it seems it would be more fitting if Jesus was born in a palace. Yes? Don't, don't you think that? The Son of God seems more fitting that he would be born in a palace. It seems more fitting that instead of being wrapped in strips of cloth, he ought to be wrapped in 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 strips of fine, smooth silk and laid on the softest pillow and, and surrounded by dignitaries and, and honored guests and laying in a crib that's adorned with gold and jewels. But again, that even speaks to our incredible arrogance in suggesting that, that the finest things that we have to offer on this earth could even remotely compare to what God has in heaven. And it speaks to the fact that even when we bring our best attempts at righteousness, it doesn't even come close to compare to, to what God's standards are. And really the, the difference between being born in a barn and being born in a palace is, is very minimal compared to Jesus setting aside his glory to come down on earth. He didn't sacrifice more being born in a barn than being born in a palace. He sacrificed it all when he left heaven to come and interrupt our world. But to us, we, we can't get our mind wrapped around that. It would make more sense to us that the nursery would be surrounded by royal guards. Mary would have access to the best doctors money could buy. After all, this was God. This was the king of kings coming to earth as a man. It would make sense to us that dignitaries and royals would be the first to see baby Jesus. So why would God call the shepherds who, according to their culture, can't even be trusted. And I read this just the other day, and I want you to think a moment about the glory of God. Uh, I came across this. I want to share this. It says the whole purpose of the plan of salvation is glory to God. The whole purpose of the plan of salvation is glory to God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says, So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. God's glory had previously dwelt in the tabernacle and in the temple, but the glory had departed because of the nation's sins. And as we read the Old Testament, we, we read of um, the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord resting on the tabernacle. And any time the, 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 the presence of God would get up and, and move, that they would follow him. And when the glory of God would stop, they would build the tabernacle again or erect the tabernacle and, and the glory would come back down. And then we read um, in, in the Old Testament when Solomon built his temple that as he prayed this prayer of dedication over the temple, the glory of the Lord filled the temple in this miraculous, awesome display of God's presence. And, but then we also read in Ezekiel chapter 11, there's this revelation that the glory of God had, had been removed from the temple, had been removed from Jerusalem and um, <clears throat> had left the people. 
Now, on this first Christmas night, God's glory was returning to earth in the person of his son, Jesus. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And so, in a, in a sense, there, there is this, this feeling that this small stable and this barn, this lowly manger, actually becomes the holy of holies because Jesus was there. The glory of the Lord dwelled there. The difference between the holy of holies that existed in the tabernacle and the holy of holies that existed in the temple is that this holy of holies where Jesus dwelt, we have access to him. We get to see Jesus. We get to touch the glory of God. We get to embrace the glory of God. We get to be in the presence of the glory of God. There is no longer any separation. That was a great spot to say amen. You missed it, but that's okay. And what Jesus started in his birth, giving all men access to the holy of holies, he completed in his death when scripture tells us that after he died, the the veil, the curtain that separated the holy of holies from the rest of the temple was ripped in half, symbolically letting mankind know that we all have access to the holy of holies. We all have access to the presence of God. It doesn't matter what's your status, what's your position, or what's your background. We all have access to Jesus. And God is revealing the heart of his redemption plan to mankind by being very intentional who he makes this announcement to and who he extends the first invitation to. If Jesus had been born in a palace, think about this. If Jesus had been born in a palace, only the religious elites, only the political dignitaries would have had access to him. What that would have suggested, that would have sent the message that you have to be somebody in order to approach Jesus. But because he was born in a barn and because he invited the shepherds, God was declaring to the world that every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl has access to the eternal Savior. So God is inviting a group of guys who have been on the outside looking in their entire lives. These people who were fringe people, disconnected from the rest of the world. Outsiders. Not lovable people. Not good people according to the culture. He invites these kind of people and gives them VIP access to the most important event in human history. And this strategy will continue all through Jesus' life. It will. It'll just continue all through Jesus' life. The worship team is coming in just a minute. They're, they're back there getting ready. They're going to come out here. I want you guys to come on out. Um, because I'm, as I'm, we're closing, I'm, I'm thinking about this song. There's no shadow you won't light up. No mountain you won't climb up in coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. There's no um, lie you won't tear down coming after me. And, and I, I don't think we understand the significance of this. And I think there's a lot of us in here that say, well, that may apply to me because I'm kind of a good person. Maybe there's no wall that God won't kick down to come after me because I'm decent. Because I, I'm not a jerk and, and I don't do drugs and I don't cheat on my wife and I'm relatively involved in my kids. And so maybe there's some of us that think, well, there's no wall that Jesus won't kick down for me, but I don't know 
if that is necessarily true for that person. I don't know if that's necessarily true for the person who lives in a different country. I don't know if that's necessarily true for the outsider, the fringe person on society. But the reality is that when Jesus came to earth, the message from the angels was to the outsiders, not the insiders. And he was declaring from the very beginning that I'm going to light up your shadow, I'm going to knock down this wall, and I'm going to destroy this lie so that you have access to the Father. There's no lie. There is no wall. He will seek out those on the outside. He looks for people hanging out on the fringe. He invites them to be the center of the mission. Jesus doesn't invite the outsiders to be in the room. He invites the outsiders to sit at the head of the table. He says, I can use you. I want you to be on my team. I want you to be in my family. Begin to sing that just real quietly in the background. Let, that, let those words sort of permeate this, this environment here this morning. He invites the outsider to sit at the head of the table. He chooses fishermen and tax collectors and prostitutes and murderers to not only be the focus of his mission, but to be the drivers of his mission. Shepherds were invited, lepers were touched, children were welcomed, women were valued, prostitutes were embraced, the poor were honored, criminals were forgiven, tax collectors were called, and the hungry were fed. From the very beginning that Jesus came into this earth, he says, if you're on the outside, then I got good news for you. If you exist on the fringe of society, then I got good news for you. If you are somebody who the world has never opened up to, I got good news for you. If every time you come around, everybody says, you can't sit here, you can't exist here, you can't be here, then I got good news for you because there is a Savior. Yes, the Lord, the Messiah has been born in Bethlehem. Go see Him. He wants you there. There's plenty of room. You don't need a special pass to see the Savior. You don't need the right credentials. You don't need the right name, the right job, the right look, the right connections, the right anything. You just need to simply come Jesus never hung the no vacancy sign, ever, and he never will. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.